0: All right, Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 says this. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He said, go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay Was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. How many of you in the room want what God thinks is best for your life? Amen. Maybe we could put our hands together and just say, "God, that's what we want." We've got a lot of plans, we've got some goals and some dreams, maybe, but I truly I want what you think is best. From my life. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask over these next few moments that you would speak a word so clear to us, challenge us, change us, make us more like you, Jesus. That's the goal. Roman says that's really the goal, that we would be conformed to the image of your son. Your desire is that we would look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, that we would grow from strength to strength. From faith to faith, from grace into more grace, truth into more truth. So help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. I'm so thankful for last weekend. I thought Pastor Jabin Chavez did an incredible job talking about the Holy Spirit. In particular, talking about the gift of speaking in tongues. And I think that's something that you need to maybe go back and listen to um, One thing I wanted to share with you today, one thing that we believe at the church, and I just wanna make this clear, there's a lot of uh, wondering whether or not tongues is either uh, a foreign language, like a a language you can learn like Spanish or French and all of that stuff. And I think that God could definitely do do a miracle and give you the ability to speak in a language that you don't know. But for me, when I read through scripture, I see tongues as one thing. I see tongues as a heavenly language that I don't even know what I'm saying, and the people around me don't know what I'm saying. And the only way they can understand what I'm saying is the gift of interpretation. And so I think that's what was happening in Acts chapter two when they spoke in tongues. One of the reasons I believe that is because for some, denominationally speaking, they think that tongues is uh, a way God overcomes language barriers, um, Maybe someone's traveling to the mission field and they don't know the language and so God supernaturally gifts them with the ability to speak the language of the people they're preaching to. Years and years ago when Pentecost first happened in the United States at the turn of the 20th century in about 1900 and something, 1905, 1906, there was a revival that broke out in Azusa Street. And this is when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit started happening in the United States of America, and people first started to speak with tongues in the United States. So we're not that far removed from this outpouring of the presence of God in the church in America. And uh, so they got together, and they they, uh, sent a group of people thinking that this gift was actually known languages that maybe you could go to school and learn, but maybe supernaturally God would gift him. So they went into different mission fields and believing that God would gift them to speak in the language of the people there and, and it didn't happen. <laughs> they didn't know the language and so they actually ended up requiring interpreters. This is, this is how it went. And so for me, when I see the gift of tongues, I always see tongues as not a natural human language that can be learned in school. And the reason I believe this is because the other gifts of the Spirit are not something you can go to school and learn. I can go, to, I can go to school. I can, I can get, I can get a, I can get an online. I can take an online class and learn Spanish, but I can't take an online class and learn a heavenly language. Does that make sense? And I can't, I can't take an online class and learn how to work miracles, and have the gift of discernment of spirits, and. All of that, so for me, and just the way I see it, I always see when God gives someone with tongues, uh, the ability to speak in tongues, I believe it's it's of not human origin. And uh, so that's why sometimes, maybe you're in a church like ours, you've been in churches before, where every now and then somebody beside you will, will be speaking and it won't be English and it won't be French and it won't be Spanish and they break out in what is unrecognizable to you. There's an album that just came out. Uh, Elevation Church just put out, out an album. And there's this part of a song that Stephen Verdick writes where he says that his, his grandma would, would talk to Jesus. And when she would talk to Jesus, he said, it sounded like mumbling, like she was out of her mind. Right? And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? There were some that God gave the gift of interpretation and they could hear their own dialect but there were others that looked at them and said, man, they are out of their minds. Nobody looks at somebody speaking French and says, oh, they're crazy. Nobody looks at somebody speaking Spanish and says, oh, they're crazy. I might not even know Spanish, but I can recognize Spanish when I hear it. I don't think somebody speaking Spanish is drunk. I don't know what you're saying, but my assumption isn't you're drunk. They were, they, the assumption was that they were drunk, that they were out of their mind. But some had been given. There was a miracle of the ear that day. The gift of interpretation had fallen on some, and they were able to hear their own dialect. And the reason tongues is not a way to overcome some sort of language barriers because they weren't even hearing them preach the gospel. They were praising God. And anytime you see someone speaking in tongues throughout scripture, they're never preaching I will never get up and preach in tongues. Somebody say, thank God. (laughs) They were praising God. So it's used as a way for us to praise God. And I, like Paul, Paul said, do all prophesy? No. Do all speak with another tongue? No. Here's the thing. Can all prophesy? Everybody is a candidate if you're a child of God. Can't everybody speak in tongues? Everybody's a candidate. Will all? No, and so this is what I wanna say to you today. If you don't and you never do, you're not any less spiritual than anybody else in this room. If you never prophesy, you're not any less spiritual. If you never have a word of wisdom, you're no less spiritual. Whose cell phone is up on the stage? Or in that back room? Somebody's in that back room. Do Lord, talk to them in Jesus' name. So, so it's, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? How God can be so clear through scripture. I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna go answer this for him. I'll be right back. Where's this phone at? Oh, it's an iPad. Whose iPad is back here going off? Jeez, I'm trying to talk about something important and y'all got iPads going off back here. Say no, it's not yours. Becca's just taking care of the problem. That's what we'll say. Becca's just fixing the problem. It's not her iPad. So I wanna, I wanna, I just wanna help you because I think there's, there's been a lot of pressure to, to, to do something. And anytime you see someone, look at, listen, listen to me clearly. Anytime you see someone prophesy, speak in tongues, Give a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, work miracles. It's never them. It's always God, and you, and 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 I want to help you a little bit. Jabin said something last week that I want to I want to clarify a little bit. He said um, that sometimes when uh, sometimes you need to unlearn a lot of bad theology. So I want to I help you, though, because what happens if you're not careful, if, if you don't get something, then you'll think that something that happened to you in the past is actually holding you up. When God doesn't need you to unlearn anything, to do something new in you. I want to help you with this because I don't want you to turn this on you. Oh, it was my bad teaching. It was my bad upbringing. It was my bad experience. No, 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 no. Every time you see someone speak in tongues in the Bible, they didn't have to go to a class to do it. Every time you see someone prophesy, they didn't have to to unlearn bad theology to do it. They just did it. They didn't even know about it, and they did it. So I want to help you. If it's going to happen, it's gonna happen because God does it. And when God does it, you'll never for the rest of your life wonder, was it me? Amen. Did I make that happen? Was I just copying people? Did I just get caught up in the moment? Was I just in my emotions? You'll never wonder that because when God does it, it's unmistakable, it's undeniable. God did it and only God could do it because it's a gift that comes from God. Amen? And so I, I, I wanna encourage you. The, the apostle says, desire earnestly the gifts. So I wanna encourage you to desire the gifts, but don't get hung up on any particular one, or else it becomes something that it was never intended to be. Some sort of proof of spirituality, like I know God better than you. Oh, no, 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 that's not the design of the gift. The gift was really designed to encourage the body, Strengthen the body, uplift the body, change the body, help the body. Come on, somebody. And the gift of tongues is so powerful because it's it's not this thing that makes you elite, it's this thing that humbles you because you don't even know what you're doing, you don't know what you're saying. So I, I want to encourage you desire the gifts earnestly desire the gifts this church is open to the gifts of the spirit and I want to I want to I want to thank you for being a church that has um always been open to the things of the spirit always been willing to say God you know we've got a plan but we'd rather do yours <laughs> we've got something we want to happen, but we'd rather you do what only you can do in our lives, and so I wanna encourage you in that, amen? Amen, Amen. just a little bit of help. Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah chapter 18, I need to get in this message because I have something to say, but I wanted to help you a little bit, just a little bit of clarification from from last week. Just if you were wondering, are tongues foreign languages that people know, or or is tongues a heavenly language? I, I personally believe and teach that tongues is always a heavenly language, unknown to the speaker, unknown to the hearer, unless they have been given the gift of interpretation. That's what I believe. So I could have said that in 30 seconds like I just did, but I took 10 minutes because some iPad went off in the back. All right, here we go. So Jeremiah 18, he says, this is the word that came from Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. I love this story. It gives us a real clear example of what we need to do to really hear from God, to really kind of engage what God is doing and understand what God is doing in our lives. So first of all, you see that a word comes to Jeremiah, but that word gives him a word to go to a certain place, and I'm going to give you another word. So what we find out about God very often is sometimes the prerequisite for a new word is obedience to the first word God gave us. And a thing, thing I find out about God throughout scripture and even in my own life is that God will speak to us, but he only speaks to us on his terms. Do you remember when he wanted to talk to Moses from the burning bush and he said, Moses, hey, take your shoes off because you're approaching holy ground. I know you're approaching, but I need you to get in, a, in the proper position to be able to hear what I'm getting ready to say to you. And so he says, I want you, Jeremiah, to go down to the potter's house. I have something that I wanna say to you And so the word, here's the key, here's the key, the word will meet you when you get where you are supposed to be. And maybe for some of the people in the room today, maybe it feels like God isn't speaking to you, but maybe it's not that God isn't speaking to you, maybe you just aren't obeying what he's already told you, and he's waiting on obedience before he starts to declare a new message to you. And there's another principle here, there's the principle of place. From the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end of the Bible, we see the principle of place. God creates the world and then he puts us in it. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 17 that the word of God comes to this prophet Elijah and he says, I want you to leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Careth ravine east of the Jordan. He says, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Somebody say There. There is a there for every single person in this room. That's why it's important. You don't don't really get to pick because you like the music or you like the singing or you like the preaching or you like the kids ministry, the church that you go to, because God actually has ravens that are assigned to feed you where you are supposed to be. And so you you could be in a great environment, in a great church, it's just not for you. And sometimes you're not getting fed because you're not where you're supposed to be. It's not that the pastor isn't, isn't feeding people. It's just that that's not the supply that God has for you. That's not the food that God wants you to eat. Can somebody say amen? All right. So, so there's, a, there's a there for you. And then at the end of this whole thing, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going there to prepare a place for you because everything God does in your life he creates the place he prepares the there and then he sends you to it is there anybody in the room thankful today that God has a there for you like he didn't just think about you your life he didn't just knit you together in the womb of your mother and then throw you out into the world and say good luck see in a few years no he has a there for you you are in the family you are in for a reason. I know you might not like it. I know you might not like the circumstances surrounding your birth or how everything happens, but there is a there for you and your there is on purpose and you are where you are for a purpose and for a reason. You were born in this state, in this region for a reason. You were born wherever you were born for a reason. In the family you were born in for a reason. God has a there for you. Your family wasn't a surprise. The circumstances of your birth were not a surprise. They all go into the process of shaping you into the piece of clay, into the thing that the potter has designed for your life. So stop apologizing for your family even though they're crazy and we all know it. Stop apologizing for your past. Stop apologizing for where you came from and thank God that your there was meant to do what it was meant to do and you are the result of the there that God chose for your life. Wow, there's a there for all of us. And so the prophet, he hears God say Here's the word of the Lord. I need you to go there. And so what does Jeremiah do? Jeremiah says, so I went down. The key is whatever God tells me to do, wherever God tells me to go, I go. Even if I don't like it. We don't know that Jeremiah liked the place where the potter's house was. Sometimes the spirit of God will lead you into places that you don't want to go. The Bible says about Jesus that he was full of the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness. That doesn't sound fun. I don't want to go there. I'm not too excited when God asks me to go into places and be around people that I really don't want to go into and people that I don't really want to be around. But if he says go, I want my response to be like Jeremiah. So I went down. And sometimes, sometimes the words in the text, even, even the smallest words matter. So I went down. Sometimes the way to really hear God is to humble yourself and to do some things and to go into some places and to talk to some people you don't want to talk to, to humble yourself and go to some things and go hang out with some people that you don't really want to hang out with. Sometimes the road to the word of God is down, not up. Sometimes it's down. Sometimes it's you need to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So he, he went down because what? You never benefit from a word you refuse to obey. You can read the Bible all day long, but you will never benefit from it until you start to obey it. James said you deceive yourselves into thinking that the word benefits you when you only hear it, but you don't do it. The blessing isn't, hearing, isn't in hearing the word. The blessing is in doing the word. Oh man, this is important because here's the key. So I I don't have what the word says I can have because I can repeat it. Have you ever met people that know the word but like there's no fruit in their life? They They can repeat scripture back to you like that, they don't even need to look it up. They know it, but they don't have any evidence of it. Like they know love your neighbor, but they don't love any neighbors. You know what I'm talking about? They know love your enemy, but they don't love any enemies. They know scripture, but there's no actual application of scripture in in their life. Now don't look to the right or the left right now. This is not a time where you need to look across the room because the same person you're looking at is probably looking in your direction as well, y'all don't need to catch eyes right now. This isn't that moment. But There are a lot of people who think that just because they read it or they know it or they can repeat it, that they have it. And you don't have what the word says you can have until you do what the word says you should do. Oh, man, that's really good. And then notice what he says. So he the Bible says, so he went he went down. He went down. He went down. He went down. And I went to the potter's house and then the Bible says, and I saw him. So my my eyes were open. I saw the Lord. I saw him. And what was the Lord doing? He was working. What was the potter doing? He was working. If, If you could see with spiritual eyes, you would see a God who's not really sitting still in this moment and watching us have church. He's working. The Spirit of God is actively moving through this audience right now. He's gripping hearts. He's convicting people. He's making some people a little bit, just like putting them a little bit on edge, like I don't know if I like this guy yet. I don't know what's going on here. I'm some people, he's comforting right now. For some people, he's strengthening right now. I, I can guarantee you, my words are not going to impact your life unless the Spirit carries those words into your life. If the Spirit doesn't carry this word into your life, then I'm nothing but a, a, a positive uh, you know, thinking, I'm just a guru. But as soon as the Spirit gets a hold of these words, the Bible says they are life to your bones. This word is life to your bones bones like as soon as the spirit gets a hold of it something happens on the inside of you strength starts to return to your body have you ever felt yourself you come to church and you're in one condition but you leave in a completely different condition that's not the words that the preacher that's the spirit of God coming in taking those words and putting his power on those words is there anybody grateful today that God puts his power on our words So I went down and I saw him. God was working. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. This is where I want to spend some time today. First of all, he says it was marred in his hands. This is wild because it was impaired it had blemishes it wasn't perfect but it was still in his hands i think i think very often we think that for us to really be in his hands and we've got to have it all together and maybe when we pull it all together maybe he'll pick us up and maybe he'll find us useful and Maybe he'll think we're worthy and maybe he'll think we deserve it. But I love it that it says it was imperfect in his hands. Oh, man. My life is a mess, but it's in his hands. (laughs) My life isn't what it should be, but it's in his hands. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm still in his hands. I'm a little broken right now, but I'm still in his hands. One translation says it didn't turn out the way he thought it was gonna turn out about the clay, but it was still in his hands. It went in a different direction than he wanted it to go, but it's still in his hands. Your child left your house and they walked away from God and they walked away from church and they went their own way, but like the prodigal who left the father's house, he was still the father's son, still in his hands. Come on, somebody. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I came today to encourage you that you are still in his hands. I don't know what you have experienced this week and what you've experienced this month. I don't know what's actually going on in your personal life, but I want you to know something. You are still in his hands. You might not feel like you deserve it. You might not feel like you've earned it. You might not feel good enough to be in his hands But the promise is, is even though you're marred, even though you're flawed, even though you've got blemishes and even though you're imperfect, you are still in his hands. I love that. I'm still in his hands. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. Your neighbor doesn't give you eternal life. People who don't like you don't get to vote on whether or not you're going to heaven. God gives eternal life. The church doesn't give eternal life. Pastors don't give eternal life. Elders don't give eternal life. Prophets don't give eternal life. God gives eternal life. Yeah. Woo, that's good news to me because it doesn't matter what the pastor thinks about me. doesn't matter what the prophet thinks about me. God made a decision about me and nobody can undo the decision that God has already made about my life. So it doesn't matter if they like me. God gave it to me. God gave them eternal life. And then watch what he says. So they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He gave me eternal life. I will never perish and no one can take me out of his hand. Marred but in his hands. Isaiah 49, 16 says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. One translation says engraved. The imagery is that God got a tattoo of you, your name, on his hands, on his palms. Wow. No wonder the Bible teaches me that I'm ever before him. Because every time he looks at his hands he sees my name. He can't forget about you. You're written on his hands. He can't abandon you. The Bible says he can't deny his own. He can't give you up. You're in his hands. I wrote you on my hands. You belong to me. You're mine. You don't belong to anyone else. You don't belong with anyone else. And every time, (laughs) every time, You think that you don't deserve to be in my hands. That's when I let you know you're in my hands the most. That's when you need to understand that I'm closer to you than I've ever been before. When you feel the furthest away from me is when I move in closer than I've ever been. The Bible says that he is near the brokenhearted. When you feel at your worst, God is at his best. Marred, but in his hands. And then Jeremiah 18 and four in the New Living Translation, I love this, I love the way the New Living puts it. He says, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay, again, and start it over. What does God do with people who mess up their lives? What does God do with people who like the prodigal walk away and in sin fall and fail and find themselves off away from the church, away from God's people, away from God's house, away from an environment like this? What does God do with those people, Robbie? crushes them, and he starts over. I love that he's, he doesn't say he threw the clay away. God doesn't throw anyone away. He says he crushed it and he started over. What you're feeling right now might just be crushing And if you're going through a crushing, what that means to you today is you're at a new beginning. Because crushing means starting over. If he's crushing me, it means he's starting over. He's not crushing me to hurt me. He's not crushing me to harm me. He's not crushing me to punish me. He's crushing me to start over. So he presses down so that he can build back up. God never presses down to make you feel like a failure. God presses down so that he can build you back up. God presses you down so that he can start over in your life. What does God do with people who have blown it? He starts over. What does God do with people who have fallen flat on their face? He starts over. What does God do with people who have lost everything and maybe gotten arrested and gone to prison? He starts over. I'm thankful today that I serve a God who doesn't give up on me when I don't turn out the way he hoped I would turn out. He doesn't throw me away into the trash and say I'm not useful. He just starts over. I love it. He starts over. And then he says, so he shapes it as he sees fit. So he formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Isaiah 49, one through three says this. It says, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. This is what God wants to get out of your life. He wants his splendor to be displayed through your life. And how he's shaping us is so important. How he's shaping you is so important. It's so important to recognize how God shapes you because unlike the clay in the scripture, you have free will. Unlike the clay, You have free will, and so there's a cooperation that's required between you and God. God will pick you up, he will put you on the wheel, he will hold you in his hands, he will form you and shape you, but you can punch back a little bit. You can talk back a little bit, and you with your own mouth can ruin the shape that he's creating, and you with your own decisions can ruin the shape that he is creating. And what does he do? He presses down, he crushes, and he starts over again. But I would I would encourage you that, that that if you'll go ahead and you'll just submit to his shaping and his making, you won't have to experience so much crushing in your life. Is there anybody who'd like a little less crushing in your life? Like so, so the less more obedience, less crushing, more willingness. Less crushing. <laughs> more, God, I'm gonna do what you say, less crushing. It's not that he's ever gonna give up on you and he'll start over a million times if he has to. But the more you obey, the less you have to be crushed. How does he shape me? Well, it's, it's an interesting picture, isn't it? The potter working with the wheel. There he's using his hands. And he's shaping, he's molding, and he's pressing. And he's using a a lighter touch, and he's using pressure to shape it into the form that it was created. And and what I see there is I see the hands of God, right? So so God, with His hands, is working on us. And 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 if 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 uh, you have uh, two hands, you have and you have all your fingers, and you haven't cut one off with a saw or an accident or something like that. You have you have two hands, and you have. Ten fingers. Think about this. How does God shape us? How does God shape with his hands? What are his hands? His hands are his commands. There are ten of them. Just like you got ten fingers. It's ten hands. God uses his hands to shape. How does God shape you with his hands? His commands. His word. Hebrews says that he spoke a word, and the worlds were framed by the word of God. God's words are his hands. So, God's word is his hands. God's 10 commands are his hands. It's how he shapes your life. You're not worse off because you stopped lying. You're not worse off because you stopped coveting. You're not worse off because you put God first in your life. You're not worse off because you stopped stealing. You're not worse off because you stopped murdering. Some people look at the Ten Commandments, look at that legalism. No, it's the hand of God trying to shape you into a better life. Trying to shape you trying to give you something that you you didn't have before I'm trying to give you a life that you didn't have before all of God's commands are for your benefit for your joy they actually are intended to increase your joy that's what God's word does is it increases the level of joy in my life so Isaiah said he's shaping me he he's sharpening my mouth like a sword Why? Because my mouth, not my situation, determines the quality of my life. Come on, somebody. My mouth is really determining the quality of my life. In the same way that God's word shaped, framed the world, our worlds, our words are framing our world. So he's sharpening my mouth. What's he doing on the wheel? He's sharpening your mouth. Some of you are like, I don't understand why God doesn't give me a voice. Your mouth's not sharp enough yet. I don't understand why nobody's listening to me. You're not sharp enough yet. God is sharpening your mouth. And every time that mouth gets out of control, He has to crush you. Mm, can't let Him. Let's start over. <laughs> He's sharpening our mouth. Psalm 141 and three says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 13 and three says, those that control their tongue will have a long life. You don't have a sharp mouth. You have a short life. How many of you know this? Opening your mouth at the wrong time can ruin everything. Saying sometimes the right thing at the wrong time can ruin everything. So you have to have a sharp mouth. And your mouth is connected to your heart, your mouth is connected to your mind. So not only is he sharpening your mouth, he's sharpening your mind and he's sharpening your heart because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth keeps speaking. And we can all tell what you're full of because you keep telling us. I want, it, I want my mouth to be like Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Listen, even though there's no fig tree budding, there are no crops in the field, there's no grape on the vines, there's no animals in the field, there are no sheep in the pen, I will still rejoice. I'm not going to allow my mouth to start talking negative just because life is bad. I'll rejoice in my God. I'll talk good about the Lord. I'll talk good about God's house. I'll talk good about God's people. I'll talk about how he's strengthening me, even though even though I don't have crops in the field, how he's making me stronger and he's making my feet like a deer, even though there are no sheep in the pen. He's enabling me to tread on the heights. He's enabling me to walk over all of this stuff that would sink normal people, but it's not sinking me. Psalm 34 and one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So he said, he's sharpening my mouth, Isaiah. This is how he shaped me, sharpening my mouth. He's, what else is he doing? Says he's hiding me, the shadow of his hand. This is an awesome promise. That means that God is protecting me from anything that could destroy me if it happened to me and I'm still here, come on, if it happened to me and I'm still here, it didn't destroy me. So God's grace can protect you from anything that would destroy you. But God's grace can also cause you to walk through things that would destroy you. So it can protect you, it can help you walk through, but God's grace is always hiding you when necessary. And some of you might feel like you're in a season where nobody sees you. Maybe you're just in hiding. Maybe God's hiding you. Maybe God is protecting you from you. Maybe your mouth isn't ready. And God is protecting you from you and protecting others from you. Oh, man. We never think that, do we? Maybe God's protecting people from me. Because we, we live in a culture where everybody else is always a problem. But what if you are? What if I am? When they first told me, hey, you're going to take over the church, I was like, I was like, no, I don't, know. Uh, uh-uh, It's not happening. I'm not doing that. And then about Five years in, I was like, when are they going to let me do my thing? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. And uh, no, God was protecting you from me. That's what he was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. And still to this day, every now and then, he's got to protect you from me. Because I'm a human being. I get mad just like you do. I get upset just like you do. Oh, I get ticked off just like you do. And if I'm not careful, I'll bring that spirit up into this pulpit. And I'll come at you for not coming to church on Wednesday nights. That's what I'll do. So God is hiding me in his shadow. And then he says, he says this, Isaiah says this. He says, and he's made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his Quiver. He's polishing me. The Hebrew word there for polished means is barar. It's uh, it means to separate, to cleanse, to search out. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, the, the, the psalmist says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting So when he's polishing me, he's separating me, he's cleansing me, he's searching me out, he's testing me. The test is to reveal if if I turned out the way he hoped. Remember, if I didn't, he doesn't get rid of me, he starts over. But the test is to reveal, are there any cracks in the pot? Are, are, Are there any, is there a lack of integrity And what I wanna use. In Acts 28 and three, Paul is gathering some wood and as he's gathering this wood, he picks all this wood up, he puts it on the fire and then the Bible says that a viper driven out by the heat fastens itself on his hand. The fire reveals the snake. The test reveals the snake. The test doesn't just reveal the lack of integrity in you, the test reveals the lack of integrity in others so you know who to trust as you move forward, who's going to bite me in this season? When the heat gets turned up, who of my friends can handle the heat? And who latches onto me and tries to suck the life out of me? Can somebody say, man, man, that's good. Thank you, God, for testing. Because he's not just testing you. He's testing your friends. He's testing your family. Because you need to be able to see who can go into the next thing that God has for you, so he's really, he's sanctifying me. Sanctification is a process where I become who he's already declared me to be. It's not how I make myself presentable to God, and, and if, I, if I don't do it, then God's like, ah, you're, no, the only way I'm presentable to God is if I have his righteousness imputed into my life, given to me as a gift, but when the Bible talks about purify yourself, sanctify yourselves, what I'm doing is I'm becoming who he's already declared me to be. So I'm not trying to become something I'm not. I'm becoming who he already says that I am. Aren't you thankful today that you are already holy? And any attempt in your life to live holy is an attempt to be who he already declared you to be. Amen. Because God alone is holy. Revelation 15 and four says you alone are holy. holiness is a 100% God thing and a 0% human thing if we are holy it's because he gave it to us and then he says and he's holding me in his quiver you ever felt prepared that's what the quiver is like you're ready you don't put an arrow in the quiver unless it's ready You're ready, but you're still in the quiver. Like, pick me, God. (laughs) I'm ready. Have you ever? That's one of the most frustrating things in the world is to feel like you're ready and God still isn't using you. Isaiah 29 and 16, people very often get this way. The, The prophet says, You have everything backward. Should the potter be thought of as clay? Should what is made save its maker? He didn't make me. Should what is shaped save the one who shaped it? He doesn't understand. God, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't know what I'm going, you don't know what I'm capable of and you just keep keeping me down. And No, I know when to use you. I made you. I know how to use you. I made you. I know what you were made for. I made you. I know when your time is. I made you. I created you. He he said, Isaiah said in in this chapter, he said that while I was in my mother's womb, he spoke my name. John 10, 27 says, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. The The reason you said yes when he called your name when you were alive in this life is because you heard him call your name when you were alive in the belly. So I recognized his voice, and so when the shepherd came and he said, Robbie, I'm here to save you. When he said, whatever your name is, he said, I'm here to save you. The reason you heard that voice before and you recognized it and you said yes is because he's been calling your name since you were in your mother's womb. So he knows you better than your mom and dad. He knows you better than your professor. He knows you better than your teacher. He knows you better than your guidance counselor. He knows you better than the people who would look at your life and, and make summaries and and. And judgment's about it. He knows you better. I know why I made you. What time I made you in. What I made you for. The quiver is for your good. Because when I pull this arrow out. And I use it. I expect it to hit the mark. The apostle said, I forget the things of the past. I press forward ahead towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling you to a higher place. And it might feel painful. It might feel like pressure. It might feel like crushing. But it's only so you hit the mark. And I'm thankful for a God who has a mark who says, I've got a higher place for your life. I don't know where you are right now, but God wants you to go higher. Never calling you backwards. I'm always calling you forwards. I'm always calling you higher. I don't know where you are right now, but God is calling you higher. Are we standing on your feet with me today? So Father in Jesus' name, we thank you that like the potter, you are shaping us, forming us as you see best we submit to your shaping and your forming we say have your way do what only you can do in us we're grateful we're thankful that you love us so much that even though we're marred we're still in your hands and even though sometimes we don't turn out the way you had hoped you don't get rid of us. You start over. Thank you for making us sharp. Thank you for taking your time with us. Thank you, yes. thank you for, for making sure we're ready. Yes. Thank you for not putting us in situations that you haven't prepared us for. Yes. We're grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.